It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast. A celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Hallie Haller. Now, Hallie is a writer, director, and a creative strategist. Or I love the way that she describes herself in her bio that she sent me. She is a South African creative who cares about media, the future, and you. And yeah, man, this is a fun chat because I have known Hallie for over a decade, but we haven't necessarily kept in touch. I've kept tabs on her career because I, you know, Facebook friends. That's what that's what happens. You you keep in touch in that re- in that regard. And I saw she put out this short film called Belovely, and I absolutely loved it. And since then, I've been wanting to chat to Hallie. And yeah, we finally got to sit down and discuss the film Belovely, and also discuss what it's like to be a young up-and-coming filmmaker in South Africa. We get what it's like to be a woman in those spaces and creating your own spaces and working towards creating uh, sets that look different to the way they have for a while. And I'm sure you know exactly what I mean by that. Uh, We also get into commercial versus artistic work and how one leads to the other sometimes and the other leads to the one and how people value them differently. And yeah, it's quite a cool chat. Uh, we also chat about this cool podcast. I need to shout them out. They're no longer putting things out. But the, it, it did, I did some research by listening to them. They're called Are We Our Work? And there's quite a few cool episodes I'm going to go and check out after this. So yeah, I I just needed to shout them out because you'll hear about that podcast. And throughout this conversation, I reference it. We reference it. And... What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, that was just because uh, from that podcast, I picked up this thing of Hallie constantly needing change. But these days, not so much. She's trying to find some balance. I feel like this is a cool conversation in a lot of ways, just about finding balance, about being able to balance your commercial versus artistic, needing some chaos around you all the time with some stability and some routine. So, yeah, man, we get into a whole load of things. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by you, as you as you know, as you know, unless you're new here. And if you are new here, welcome. Now, this is a podcast where I tend to interview creative types about how they got to where they got to with a focus on where they fucked up so that we can learn from their mistakes. And yeah, I thank you for joining us today with Hallie. If you are new here, you're probably one of her friends or you're probably a fan of her work. And you're going to get to know it a whole lot better in just a little bit. But like I was saying, this podcast is brought to you by you, which means you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect and subscribe for as little as $1 a month. That is like 15 rand at the moment, I think, I think roughly, roughly around that amount, which is, I think, cheaper than a beer these days or about the price of a beer. So if you feel like this podcast is worth a beer, not even just this one, just all the podcasts, you know, four a month. If you think four podcasts a month is worth a beer, go to Almost Perfect, not Almost Perfect, you should definitely go there though. Great content on that website. 
But other than that, go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. So yeah, Hallie, your Hallie's done a hell of a lot, especially lately. She's very busy at the moment, but she's a part of uh, this program called Four Creative Girls. She's a mentor there. She's a One World Media Documentary Fellow for 2020, and she's a representative of Girls in Film's South African chapter. So she keeps herself busy and also does commercial work. She's been doing artistic projects. She's been doing a whole lot of things that we get into in just a little bit. How you doing? How you living? You you might know the saga with me. I've been living with my grand for a while now. She had a stroke last week. It's been a thing that I've had to deal with, but I'm okay. I'm I'm doing all right. Um, genuinely, like managing it. Like there's. I don't know, some unique nuances to navigate every day now. Um, and they have been for so long, uh, to be completely honest. But there's a bit more strain at the moment just because she's less capable than normal. And that uh, frustrates her a bit more. And so those frustrations come out in a lot of different ways. And I've got to try and just a little be frustrated. And B, try to make her feel less frustrated and try not to feel frustrated myself with all of that. So, you know, that's been my thing. But to be honest, it feels a lot easier to deal with than getting a fucking education in this country. Because even if you're not trying to get education, you can just die because some kids would (laughs) like to get what was promised to them. You know, I would like to, would like to get delivered on, and we know how things go in this country, where so much money is just fucking wasted constantly, and while people are trying to improve their lives by seeking fucking higher education, but unfortunately don't come from wealth, unfortunately don't have access to finances, and are now not able to pay for things, when education is a fucking human right. And you should be able to access it no matter what your financial circumstances are. Like, obviously, I believe that. And if you don't, you should, I don't know, <laughs> look look inside your heart and try and think about why that is. But, yeah, what's happened lately is just it's the same thing that's been happening for a long fucking time in this country. Regardless of whichever government's in power, like the police hate fucking black and brown students. Quite simply, we know that black people are treated differently by the police in this country, regardless, like, of whether, like, you you know that, you fucking know that, because we saw, like, you can't argue against that, because we saw what happened when white people were on the beaches just flagrantly just going against the law, just saying, fuck you to the police, essentially. And now students are just saying, yo, can we just get the thing that we fucking were promised, you know? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I just, I feel for so many people in this country because the the potential for greatness has been always been there. We produce, this podcast is testament to the most amazing people that this country fucking produces and caters to and provide space for but this podcast also highlights how difficult things are for so many people when they shouldn't be 
and it shouldn't be so hard for someone to just go to school and that's the thing like I know the guy who died is a father I'm sorry I don't know his name offhand and I don't have anything in front of me I'm just speaking from the heart here but I know that he was a father and he just got his master's and he was a breadwinner and those things while tragic aren't important when it comes to the story the police should just not be fucking killing people for any reason other than if that person is trying to kill them like that that's a might be a controversial opinion but that's my belief like if you shoot at a cop then a cop could shoot at you like that to me seems hella fair like that's that's the vibe but if you're just walking in the fucking street the cops can say hey i want to like well this is also the thing i did law of current procedure and evidence uh, in high school and by the law they can't just fuck with you but we all know that <laughs> police don't necessarily care about the law come now don't don't be silly don't be stupid that's not the way the world fucking works so yeah man i don't know this is some tragic shit but yeah the police just shouldn't be shooting at people whether they're students whether they're upstanding citizens whether they're black whether they're white whether yeah man whether they've fucking done something wrong uh whether that's honestly i I truly believe that just because someone's done something wrong doesn't mean they should be fucking murdered like <laughs> here we are and i don't know i don't know if things are gonna get better with regards to that i think we've got quite a way to go when it comes to the power structures in this country and I don't know what the solution is, but I know organizing together is going to be the only way that we can overcome things. And I think that's happening more and more. I don't know. I think more and more people are just waking up and realizing just how twisted everything truly is. Not just here, like all around the world and how power exists and how it exerts itself and how that affects the everyday man on the street and at some point enough is he fucking enough and i don't know i feel i feel like this country might be reaching that point but have we not reached that point many times before i don't know i i genuinely don't uh so (laughs) yeah that's that's what's on my mind at the moment and that's (sighs) yeah that's the state of things out there in the world and it's about to get awkward because i'm about to pitch uh to sell you some things i'm going to tell you first so it's not that awkward i'm gonna first tell you about the newsletter that i have it's called the almost perfect newsletter wow fucking game changer i know but yeah you can sign up to this newsletter there's been two editions this year already i've got the january and february edition out there so i'm quite proud of myself it's better than i've ever done before so if we get march out there we are on a roll so if you if you want to see whether or not i get the march newsletter out there you can go to almostperfect.co.za there's a little thing on the right hand side that says sign up to the newsletter you go there put in your email address i'll send you a newsletter once a month and i'll tell you some music to listen to something to watch whether it's movie or tv maybe even a short film who knows and then a game to play and then at the end of that i just let you know about all the podcasts that have happened so it's like I give you a little bit of value and then I try and get you to click on the links to my stuff. It's quid pro quo, Clarice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's a newsletter. 
There's also obviously the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find us, Almost Perfect Media, Almost Perfect Podcast, Almost Perfect Stuff. Like, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. I promise you. If, you. if you know how to use the internet, if you are listening to this podcast, I believe that you can find our social media handles. I do. I truly, I believe in you that much. You, I dare you. I fucking dare you right now. To go and find us on Twitter, almost perfect ZA, and follow. Do the same thing on Facebook, do the same thing on Instagram, and you would have beaten me at my dare. Well done, good for you. Like I mentioned earlier, this podcast is brought to you by you, which means it is listener supported, and which means that I take money directly from the listenership, not from sponsors. And it's not just because I can't get any. Promise. Promise. Uh, I just haven't asked anyone. Because I don't fucking want them. I want your money. I want you to invest in this thing. And that's why we've got the titular titles tier, which is a $10 tier over patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Now, this is a tier where you get to pick your title on this podcast. It's the reason why I get to say we instead of just I. I do all the work. You get all the props. And this week, we do have a new... uh, (laughs) We've got a new patron at the $10 tier and I might be doing them a slight disservice because my phone is dead and I didn't write down what they wanted to be called. So I'm going to try and remember it offhand. Uh, so this is the kind of quality service you get here at the Almost Perfect Podcast. Also, it's literally called the Almost Perfect Podcast. So what did you expect? Except for me to maybe maybe nail this or maybe get it half right. But shout outs to the inevitable ruler of the universe and ultimate queen Swifty. I don't know if she put ultimate there, but Queen Swifty, Kath Jenkin. We've also got the chief sales officer of Subtle Heresies in the greater Oberberg region, Rousseau. We have got Julian, who is the king. We've got our executive producer, Stephen Olafia. We've also got our spiritual advisor, Vishendra Nadu. And lastly, we have got our pantsless weasel, Tyron Love. So shout out to all of you. Thank you so much for your money. I greatly fucking appreciate it. It's amazing how, like, in a capitalist society, getting money for the product that you put out there actually makes you feel valued. Weird how that works. Uh, But yeah, thank you genuinely from the bottom of my heart to everyone who is supporting the podcast over on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect and as well by buying mugs. And you can do that just by hitting me up in the DMs on any social media platform. Just don't say, hey, don't, don't just do that. Okay. Say, hey, Bob, I would like to buy a mug. And then, then I'll get back to you. They're a hundred rand each and 10 rand from each sale goes to Sasonke. Sasonke is an organization by sex workers for sex workers that is working to decriminalize sex work in South Africa and also provide support for sex workers in a number of different ways. You can check them out over at sasonke.org.za. But yeah, slide in the DMs and I'll swing you a mug for a hundred bucks. That's everything I need to tell you. That's everything I need to sell you. So without further ado, here comes the Almost Perfect Podcast with Hallie Haller. So how are you living, Hallie? Hey, Bob. I'm living pretty well. I'm currently working really hard on resting because I've just had a crazy work period and my body's just 
telling me to chill. So that is what I'm doing. So you work hard on working hard and work hard on resting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, a, I've, I've burnt out once before and it's something, I just really, it sucked so much. I took a sabbatical and I remember in the middle of it thinking, what if I never actually want to work again? What if I just can't bring myself to want that? And I'm, I'm sure that there are loads of people who, who have experienced that before. And I'm really lucky that I typically really like my work. So um, yeah, I just never want to go back to that place. You know, <laughs> more, It's more fear than respect for my own vessel. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like that's like my everyday existence, but it's like, even if I enjoy what I'm doing, like, and I've done a lot of fun things for work, but it's always a bit like, what's the fucking point? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's where I'm at these days. But it's also kind of living in a pandemic, you know? Mm. So I feel, I feel like that might have jaded my perspective a little bit at this cool. point. But you, on the other hand, seem to be super busy, though. I have been really busy, but I think it's, um, it's a, like an interesting thing of being just past a new filmmaker and just before like a commercial success you know and I think I'm in this this, <laughs> this spot where I can do bigger scale work at a lower scale budget if I'm being completely honest and um not that I want to stay there um you know that has meant that I've been getting more work lately and I'm you know acutely aware of like the environment that we're in and what that's meant for marketing budgets and all of that kind of stuff also, a really lucky thing is just because we've all sat with ourselves in silence for so long. A, a lot of my friends and collaborators really want to make work, you know, so we've been doing that together as well, you know, in a non-commercial outcomes way. Yeah, that's definitely been something I've even found from this period. Like b before the lockdown, before everything, I did have a lot of bigger commercial projects in the works like I was working on a festival I had mm. sponsorships in line people who were going to like buy into it and it was this whole yeah. thing and unfortunately that's not a thing anymore but it's not like an issue because it's like I've been working on these other things since like I've just been going well what is it that I actually want to do with my life like how do I want to spend my time and that's why I've been getting into screenwriting and it's partially why you're actually on this podcast because like I want to pick your brain <laughs> a little bit because <laughs> I saw Belovely, which I feel is like one of those projects that you've made with friends. It is, yeah. There was like a four-person crew and one of the four people was like the actress's little sister that helped us, you know, on the day. It was totally, a, yeah, a project with friends. But that was such a, like, I loved it. I, because that's the thing, I haven't seen much of your other work yeah. before that, but I saw you post it on Facebook. And because we have Facebook friends, because we've known each other forever and we might get into that. Yeah. yeah, from back in the D. But I really, I found Belovely to be, well, rather lovely. You know, it was very charming and it was cute. And like the acting was great. The cinematography was wonderful. Like, it was just like so many good choices, so many like, it was just a wonderful experience. And it felt like this cool thing that had been done by people who just really wanted to make something cool. Mm. Oh my gosh, there's nothing better than somebody being like, hey, I like the thing that you poured your whole self into, so thanks. But you've been getting some of those props though. Like, you've, oh, haven't you been getting like good selections and festivals and I've seen like little ribbons sure. popping up on the thing as time goes by, goes on you know um it's so it's so interesting and i'll be totally frank i mean a lot of a lot of being in media and being a filmmaker is optics in the time that we live in and oh, you know God. and like um it's definitely a film that was selected for festivals but i also look at that and think 
I had to pay entry fee for a number of these festivals, you know, and, and like mm. that also, you know, a part of that is about me being able to expose them. Yeah. Part of, <laughs> part of that is about me being able to access that fee, you know, which not every filmmaker can do. Yeah. And definitely a Halley 10 years ago couldn't have afforded to rent the gear that I rented for this film and like, you know, do the ribbons and stuff. So it is really cool to get those things, but it, in a way it's, it's, it's not, doesn't matter as much as having somebody say, I, I really love this. Cause that's the, it's something anyone can access, I guess. And I'm just saying that cause I know there's somebody like, I love you so much for saying yeah, that. Cause I just used to always be like 19 years old, listening to people say, well, if you just get into a festival thinking I cannot afford to do that, like how are you doing this? You know? Yeah. But I think having you like the work, that's what matters. But like, that's the thing. Money does buy access, unfortunately. And that's been, it's one of the issues that I have with awards and with various different things in general is that you're saying this is the best thing, but this isn't the best thing. This is the best thing out of the things that you know about. Oh, and yeah. often that's the people who paid the whatever it is to get and that in. And depends on the so board it's like, and cool, what this they're is the... trying to represent in that like diversity of work they're selecting. You know, there's so many other factors. Exactly. Yeah. You don't check the box for this time or someone else checked the same box you checked mm. and they checked it better. Or, for sure. Because, oh, yeah, I can imagine you, you've been going through a lot with the festival experience from the side, I would assume? So it's the first time that I entered this film into a festival. And um, so a, bit, a little bit of my background on this film is that I actually shot it like, it's nearly four years ago now. And um, I only released it last, oh, last year. And that's because we shot it. I tried to edit it. I had a corporate job that I was really struggling to love. Is the most euphemistic way to put that. <laughs> um, I just like got sad about my inability to make it what I wanted it to be. And then because we were in lockdown, I opened up this film again that I really thought was terrible and gone like laid to waste. And oh, wow. because I'd forgotten exactly how perfect I wanted it to be, um, because I was less of a perfectionist about it because of the time, you know, that had passed, I was able to put it together. And that's, I think that's such an important thing, like to be able to take space from something and that being part of the process and not punishing yourself too much for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it wasn't something that I just like did overnight with a couple of friends and then it was an instant success, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I definitely needed to hear that because I've been writing like this short film that is frustrating the fuck out of me. <laughs> like, I wrote, like, it, it's so weird because like, I did this course, uh, the screenwriting course, just to learn how to screenwrite. And it was a like how to write a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And that was easy as fuck for me. I was like, cool, banged out like a pilot, did the whole like structure for the, you know, first season, did all the things you're meant to do. But now like I'm actually sitting down and I'm like writing a short film that like isn't just this, like it's not just uh what is it? And like an abstraction. It's not just something that I'm doing because uh, cool this is how I learned to do it it's like something I want to actually make mm. and that means the choices that I make now like matter so much more so it's just like causing me so much pain because I'm just like what does this person want <laughs> like what are why are they here like what is their whole situation Indeed. and yeah and that's why Belovely was so hard to edit because it was the first thing I made that wasn't for a brand wasn't commercial in any way it was just something I made for me and that's why it was also so hard to share. I felt like I had so much anxiety about putting it on social and getting people to watch it. 
because it's you, you know? Yeah, but I think something that was that has been really helpful is somebody once said to me, you can't correct a draft that you don't have. They were like, just do a draft, even if it's terrible. Mm. And once you've got it, then you can make it better. But like, don't be so precious. And that was really helpful advice as well. But that obviously comes from a fear of it sucking. Like that's okay. why we we always put things off. But also what's wrong with it sucking? It's okay for something to suck, you know? It's okay. And um, <laughs> no, then then you're the person that everyone says you sucks. Like that that's why we're all scared. I I because everyone's like worried. But like if something sucks, no one's gonna see it. But there's also a kind of admiration we have for people that get naked in public public. And I don't think that that goes away, you know? I, I think that we have this yeah, this admiration for people that put themselves out there, even if it's not completely perfect. And even the people that you know you on social media criticizing because their work is imperfect. You're still looking at their stuff. You still remember who they are and what they made. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just trying to let go of that idea. And it's mostly because I'm currently working on a documentary that I can't quite explain. <laughs> so, so I'm just trying to prep myself okay. for like a lot of people are not going to understand this and it's okay. <laughs> well, uh, please explain what you mean no, by that. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, 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 what can you say about this documentary that you're working on? Um, the documentary is called Coda. It's another project that I've taken almost a year to finish, even though it's only a short. And I think the reason that it's taken me so long is because in the same way that that podcast you mentioned, Are We Our Work, that podcast, it like has an entry point of asking a question. Like, and, and I think your podcast does too. This film does that. It asks a lot of people what their experience of time is and what do they feel when like one year ends and another begins because it's it's kind of a you know it's just a day passing but we treat it so differently that sounds so fucking dope it could be dope or it could be something that you send to people for edit review and they're like what is happening (laughs) okay fair fair like there's there's a way that this could work and there's a way that it could definitely not but like i love the concept shit that's really cool and i think anytime that you're trying to do something especially okay now i've made belovely so i send people this film and they're expecting like here comes something rom-com-ish with dancing and that's not the film at all so i'm getting feedback based on that perception and i think if you're trying to experiment with form or do something that you don't quite understand that's People are going to not understand it or not like it. And I think it's okay because um, the process is as important as the product, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've come to learn. The problem is the process takes so fucking long. Like, <laughs> that's why I that's try to told things at the time. In the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like we we see like these people like make it when they're like 21 not knowing that there's 700 people behind totally. them making sure that you think that this person is like sure. and robust created this shit on their own and they're amazing all kinds of things yeah all kinds of circumstances oh wow yeah, yeah. so how how do you actually navigate that side of things when it comes to making films? Because I know you have your commercial aspects and we'll probably get into that just now but it's with your more personal projects how do you fund things do you go to producers do you hit up the nfef uh what's yeah what is the process behind that so i really did try to go the funding route for a little while but i think that the funding writing funding documents is also its own art and it's incredibly time consuming um and i i would my advice to would be to anybody who's trying to get something funded is to find a producer who has gotten funded before if you can 
because a lot of those people are really good at doing those things and would be willing to help you produce your thing, especially if they're starting out. And they are going to be better at that than you as an editor or a DOP or a director can be trying to create that funding documentation alone. And a lot of producers have really good networks, you know, for getting things checked <laughs> and like getting checked, running them by the board that's going to adjudicate them and all of that stuff. For me, I actually... I went through a lot of funding and I didn't get it probably because I was doing it wrong. Um, and I've just gotten to the point where I'm self-funding a lot of work, which it took me so long to be able to have both the time and the finance to do that. And even, even when I say self-funding, it's like I'm paying for the parts I absolutely can't get for free because a lot of my friends are really helping me out and collaborating with me or the gear house is giving me discounts because they know that I'll get them paying work or because we've worked together on paying jobs. They're happy to help me on my artistic projects because I've, you know, established relationships and film is really, it's really all about relationships. So that's kind of where I've gotten to. But I think, I think there are ways to do it like quicker and to figure that out earlier as well. It just took me a long time to have the confidence to ask people for what I needed to make a thing real. I get that. Mm -hmm. I definitely get that. Cause we were actually talking a little bit beforehand and like, for me, I always felt like I knew better. So I never wanted to ask for help with things. And even to this day, like I do have a little bit of that. Like I'll Google something and then I'll try to do it. Like I won't actually just ask <laughs> like someone who's doing the thing. into the how-to and video, you're like, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> You joke, but you know, I was soldering my headphones together yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> that was very much the situation. I can ask you about what you're doing in your headphones in your spare time later. Pardon? I was, what do you Why mean? Why did you have to solder your Oh, no, like it was, together? oh, just because I uh, accidentally, like they, they had a really long cord and I kept them in and they were and stuck in my laptop and then I walked oh, and I forgot. Oh, I'm so sorry. So yeah, yeah it, it, it's like that sometimes. <laughs> so I go to YouTube and then I find out how to do things. And like, that's how, like, that's literally the university of YouTube is my, like, that's my degree, you know, mm. like that's, it's the school, it's better than the school of hard knocks because the school of hard knocks, you actually have to learn things for yourself. But like YouTube cuts that down by like at least 50%. Information but how did you everything. get into filmmaking? Um, information uh, sorry, yeah, I was oh, leading good. into, I was doing that whole little diatribe <laughs> just to get into a question of, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, how did you get into filmmaking? How did you learn it? Because becoming a director is usually quite a task, you know, it's not something that people just step into. It's a bit of a process so how did that happen for you still like have such imposter syndrome with people like you're a director I'm like yeah almost um, <laughs> um but <laughs> <laughs> I I studied at University of Cape Town I really um I think all of my anxiety about my future really overtook my ability to really immerse myself in my studies so I don't think I took full advantage of that and I really focused on writing a lot and then um what happened was after university i think same as everybody what sort of writing like screenwriting i think that was a big focus in in my degree i really spent more energy so, on that what, yeah what were you studying were you studying film? Um, i was i started studying drama and like a mix of things and then realized i really didn't want to be in front of a camera or on stage and it, like i slowly narrowed it down to to taking film very seriously. Well, as seriously as you take things <laughs> in undergrad. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
and yeah. But what made you want to get into like film and theater and the arts essentially in terms of act, well, acting and, you know, theater, that sort of yeah. stuff? What, what was the catalyst for that? It's that typical story of I have always been like writing stories. Like I wrote my sister a book of fairy tales okay. when we were five. Like I've just always been into writing and um, the idea of, of like theater making also. And I think because I was like, I, I'm not not technical. Like I liked maths and I liked science at school. And there is an element of, of like hacking and nerdiness in um film that I really loved like I felt like I could still be a little bit academic and technical and exercise the creative aspect at the same time and I think it's that like confluence of things that makes me really love filmmaking okay fair enough mm -hmm. and then so you just grew up wanting to do it and you're like I don't know exactly which aspect of this I want to explore but I know I want to explore it so let me go to UCT yeah yeah I just wanted to move as far away from home as possible <laughs> so I went <laughs> I was lucky to to go to UCT. Yeah, and then after that, um, I I'll try to summarize, but I tried to work in the commercial industry. At that time, there were just no brown women in the space at all. But commercial industry, what do you mean by that? Like making commercials. I was a runner on set, okay. and I worked as a production assistant, and it was just a really hard space to be a young woman, and I didn't have the language <laughs> for that at the time. Yeah, there's like some 50-year-old BOP trying to do a line in the bathroom with you and you're 20 trying to be like, I don't want to offend you, but also I'm not really trying to be in this situation, you know? And it's like 4 p.m. on Saturday, like what are we doing here? Um, yeah, and so it's, you know, years later I have the language for, for that wasn't a diverse enough space to accommodate me and for me to see myself doing, like being in film. But at the time, I just kind of felt like this isn't for me and I can't do it. And I guess I'm not a filmmaker because I can't figure this space out. And then I ended up just kind of shooting event videos and making stuff on my own. And I, I was the opposite of you in that I didn't think I was, you know, I really didn't think that I knew how to do things. And so it was really helpful for me to do stuff one man and kind of grow my confidence until I got to the point of realizing I couldn't get better by working alone and then I kind of asked other people to help me and that was that was really my entry point I guess you just like I don't know you just allow yourself to want the things you want you know and that's kind of how I ended up here I like that like it's uh people who listen to a podcast regularly would know I went through like an Alan Watts phase last year and he Amazing. yeah he says you invariably get what you want and it is like that thing of like then you've got to think about well, what do you actually want? And that for me is what's like taken me more down. Like, I don't know where I'm going with, you know, the whole filmmaking thing. And maybe, maybe it won't be a long-term thing. And maybe it is just something I'm learning to do because I'm interested in it. And I won't, like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. Exactly. And I'm so cool with that. But it's like, at the moment, I know that this is what I want to experience and what I want to do. So that's what I'm pushing myself towards. So for you, you felt that same thing essentially with filmmaking. It was just this thing of like, even though you've gone through this experience where it's like the industry sucks, <laughs> you still want to do it. Like, and so now you're finding ways to actually do it and not necessarily, or you, you've got your commercial aspect, but you're also finding ways outside of the industry. Cause I know you tend to work not only with women, but you tend to heavily, you know, try and favor women on the crew and in positions where they're not normally found and that sort of thing. So going from that space where it is just like a bit more chaotic and 
like just more male driven and mm-hmm. more of yeah just these fucked up power structures and now you're finding your own way to operate within that or so even outside of that totally and i think we're so lucky we're in this like generation of where we're unlearning so many things and we're actually getting to execute that at scale like this thing this idea i had a few years ago when i started really shooting by myself was maybe i can't be a filmmaker but i can make indie films and i can just work with the people i love and with my close friends you know and i i think that's a pretty yeah. common indie filmmaker story but now you know i i did work on my first commercial set the other day where every person on that set was lovely and we treated each other with respect and there wasn't this crazy hierarchy because film is super collaborative and even if you're the director if your crew doesn't back you things fall apart so you can't walk onto set feeling like you're the king you know this is not the reality and I, it was really cool to see that that mindset i had on this really small really small set years ago is something that's starting to trickle into bigger commercial productions i think yeah it was it was just really nice to to see that you can create a safe like healthy workspace you know even if there are 50 people working intensely over 3 days well that's the thing it's like it's taken time for us to get here because for so long especially it's in the 1900s and the 20th century like the whole thing of suffering for art was oh, imperative <laughs> like everyone that was like involved in the process had to like be on the verge of tears at all times or else like a film wasn't going to be good. Mm. And I like watching but lovely like I feel like that's the furthest thing from the experience <laughs> that you guys went through. Yeah, it was really the furthest thing at all. That's what's also quite interesting is that before filmmaking was kind of the space for only people that could like shout the loudest and be the most confident and like steamroll everyone for their idea at any cost. And I'm just not yeah. that person and I I never felt like I could be in film because I'm not that person and it's really cool to know that you can make your creative thing and find a way to be who you are in that process and it can work, you know? Glad to know that. <laughs> How do you feel though as a young creator who's, you know, getting in the game now and you know, I assume you're going to try and create a lot more work as time goes on, but we're at the space where the opportunities are almost endless because there's so many people buying and I hate using this word and we'll discuss exactly it right now uh, (laughs) content for the various channels. And there's so many spaces where your work can go and have a lifespan and exist. But at the same time, it's not necessarily the same thing that it used to be. It's like, which obviously has its benefits and its negatives because before a smaller amount of people could speak to a larger audience and now you're speaking to smaller audiences and now you can also get buried by the algorithm so how do you feel about Mm -hmm. the whole content aspect of what you do now like that everything that we create is just essentially another thing for someone to consume more so than the art that we'd like it to be It's so, you know, I think that that's just because we're living in this age, you know, I think that there's going to be a time where printed comic books are framed and put on walls in galleries. It's just that it wasn't the time at which they were being made. And I think the same is true for content, you know, at some point, somebody is going to be trying to replicate whatever it is we're making now in the same way we're currently putting VHS filters on everything. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I think there is that element of like um, not underestimating what what is art, and also I'm really just trying to go out into into this thinking. It's okay if like one person likes it and I learn something. I mean, ideally more than one, but but like one is okay, you know, because. If you try to make something perfect every time, you just never make anything. And I really like suffered from that inertia for such a long time. Time I'm really working on moving away from it. And there's also the the other thing that a friend recently said to me. You know, it's okay to just make something for the sport, like for the practice to get better. And that's really stuck with me because I think if I hadn't worked at scale on some of these commercial gigs, there is no way I would be able to handle these indie sets like so effect so cost effectively, um, you know, in a way that makes everybody comfortable and like just in the most productive way. And so you, there are some things that you do just to like flex the muscle. A bit. Well, yeah, that's the thing with the commercial work is that it at least gives you that experience of being on set, of seeing how things work, of how other people run things, of who's doing what. Because I assume okay. early on in filmmaking, for me, I know like I know nothing. Like I've been on sets, like I've been in front of the camera for a few different things, but I've held like I've held some things for some people sometimes. But other than that, like my understanding of how a film set really works is so juvenile, I guess. And like that's one of those things that actually being on set must help so much. And so I guess a lot of people when they are thinking about becoming a filmmaker or getting into, you know, creating their own stuff. They just want to pick up a camera and do the thing. Mm. But that can often lead to a lot of different problems compared to having actually experienced what it's like to be in the commercial realm of this, right? I actually think that the pick up the camera and do the thing is the best way to do anything. Like even if oh, you make it? a comic that is only like one block and that's the whole story, like make the comic, you know? Hey, I yeah. feel you. Yeah, and like, I, I wasn't expecting that. Totally, making something small and manageable is the best way. And I think we the problem is that we always think we're gonna make our magnum opus next, and it's okay to just be like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna make a trailer for a film that I'll never finish, and just make the trailer. That's okay, because you, know? <laughs> you you learn so oh, much. That reminds that me of just being a teenager. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like <laughs> how many drafts? Like <laughs> let's make a trailer for a film that doesn't exist. <laughs> No, but like you do it though. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like I remember just using like Windows Movie Maker for various things. I remember sure. just writing things in Word, like having like just millions of unfinished projects and like mm -hmm. never thinking like this was going to be seen by anyone. It was just like a thing you did. And like nowadays and it's just this whole thing that. of like there is, but now it's just like whatever I spend time on. Even if I play games, I must stream it, you know, like it must be like recorded and put out there so that someone else can consume it and like me. <laughs> Outcomes-based outcomes living. It's just like too, it's so much, you know, it's okay to do something in secret or yeah, yeah, it's, it's complicated. But I think that's also going back to what you're saying about not having been on a film set. That's also in a way, I mean, there are loads of benefits to, to, working on a set if you're trying to be in production for sure but they also are the like enormous benefits of not knowing what the formula is because you end up making something that's so outside of the formula and one of my favorite filmmakers his name is Shane Carruth and he made this film called Upstream Color and it 
barely makes sense, but there's so there's a feeling in it. Like you leave that film and you know what you're supposed to feel, even if you aren't completely sure what the moving parts are. And I think that's because he was a coder first. Like a filmmaker wouldn't have made that film. So I think that they're like really good elements to being new and not knowing also. Ah, I feel you there. It's like, it's such a weird... And that's a, okay. Here's the problem though that we have like with life. It's like you're you're gonna do one <laughs> of the one or two of the things. Life. You're like you're gonna no. You're gonna make well. The problem with life is you make choices and you can't change them. Which is essentially what I'm saying here. It's like you're yeah. gonna take one of those paths where it's like, you know, you're either gonna go the commercial routes and learn things that way, or you're gonna go the other way. And they both have their benefits and they both have their negatives. And it's just like it's almost like you think you know what's gonna work for you going into it but you don't necessarily know. And mm-hmm. like, it's like, yeah, I guess doing both is obviously the, the one of the outcomes uh, that you could have there. Yeah. But is I it the ideal though? Because I I feel like, how like, do you enjoy commercial work? Or I don't know, like I might be projecting a little bit here. <laughs> but I have really enjoyed getting technically better because I wanted, I've reached a point where I knew that was what I wanted. Like, I was getting to the point where my ideas just were too big for what I knew how to do, you know, and for what my network was capable of doing as well. So I I needed to do commercial production to understand how to do those things bigger. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's for now, you know, we have seasons in life for sure. Yeah. Amen. What are you, what are you projecting? (laughs) Commercial work. I project. Well, I mean, I just, in general, just hate the whole fucking concept of, like, ever working in commercial spheres. But then at the same mm-hmm. time, like, I write blog posts for, like, HR companies in Sweden. So, you know, like, it's, like, it's a weird dichotomy <laughs> of, like... Hey, criminal work. Yeah, of, like, how we get our money, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just... It's, it's one of the things that frustrates me immensely is just this whole thing of, like, having to having to live a life where money is like this this concern like that is constantly there and it's like you know obviously before survival had its quirks I guess but like you know you also didn't have to like have a piece of paper that said you could take a fucking piece of fruit off the tree so you know it's a lot of different things that (laughs) when you put it that way (laughs) (laughs) no like it is it's just like yeah like I hate that we don't get to actually just like I hate that like so many of my friends are creating work that's really cool and creative but it's going towards like a brand and that changes its Mm. meaning and that changes like the thing but at the same time I'm so so stoked that they're like making a good living and they're getting to do creative things and hopefully impact other people through massive you know campaigns that are being paid for by other people so they can utilize their platforms but then you know, fucking Noam Chomsky comes in and then I'm just like, oh, God damn it. Like, you know, no one can do anything without like being complicit. And like... Totally. And that's something I think about all the time, actually. Like my, my very long-term in life goal is to figure out how to sustain creatives in a way that like contributes to public life as opposed to commercial artifacts. But I mean, that's yeah. going to take some time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to work that out. So I, I really hate yeah, I saw someone the other day post that like the Mona Lisa was a commission. I don't know how true that is, but like, I mean, that would make fuck sense. <laughs> in the age of patronage. You know, it would make total sense. Exactly, that's the thing. Art has always been this thing that's been funded by like 
commercial fucking interest and like people who want to essentially steal their swag like they give them the money for their swag like whether it's for a brand or whether it's for like someone who's rich and just wants a nice painting in their house it's always just like you're really good at this thing i'm gonna give you money and you know now it's mine totally totally and like but that money also goes to support you like you know developing your ability 100 percent. yeah that's the thing like so many people well that's that is always the thing that people bring up, like, well, not always, but the thing that a lot of people bring up when I chat to them on this podcast is balancing that whole thing of commercial work versus your artistic thing. And it's just, I just fucking hate that, like, so few people have the the freedom to just do the artistic thing. How do we create a system where the artistic thing, because you're, you, as you say, you're working towards that. So what are some of your ideas when it comes to this? Like, how do we actually move forward towards that goal? To that space. Um, I'm trying to understand if people can like pay towards artistic experience in the same way that we pay towards concerts or in the same way that we pay towards a neighborhood watch, you know, like a, <laughs> like a communal contribution towards kind of an enriching public life in your neighborhood. And I think neighbor, keeping it neighborhood focused makes it a lot more manageable or a lot more likely. Yeah, so that's something I've been thinking a bit for a while because I also I also do creative strategy work and the the reason for that is because there when I'm working as a creative strategist I get to think about like problem solving in a way that has nothing to do with execution and a lot of the heartbreak of creation is the execution, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so the strategy is so great because I get to like, you know, give away these perfect ideas and say now you ruin them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> that's something I think about as a strategist a lot. But also in the filmmaking space, I think something that isn't as, is a bit opaque and maybe not articulated enough is, is that these things are actually all very different industries. You can work in content, you can work in commercials, you can work in actual feature films or TV and never cross you know, into other spaces or not have the, the know-how that applies to those kind of other genres. And making films or feature films, it's incredibly exhaustive, long work. And it is incredibly different because I'm, I'm now in the process of co-writing this feature. It is so, so different to making content or making commercials. There's nothing the same about it at all. Even making short films is so different because you're self-funding it. The feature work, because of how long the format is, or even working in TV, it's such an exhaustive process that it's an incredibly different skill set so i would say you know if that's a hundred percent what you're sure you want to do it's go spend three years on like trying to make your making trying to make your first project real and that's like okay because you're gonna once you do the first one so many doors open up and even if you become the best commercial director or the best content or tv director it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to walk into okay, maybe not TV, but commercials or content doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean you can move into TV or film, you know? They're, they're really quite separate well, spaces, yeah. I mean, well, but the problem is there, well, not the problem, but one of the things there, I guess, is that the history of film, of the, especially for the last 20 years, has so many people going from music videos to cinema, though, you know? And, like, I feel like content these days could be like the new music video almost like it's almost like the new entry point like if you can really do well 
on YouTube or on TikTok and you learn to really edit and you learn to like really start making interesting stuff there, then that can translate a bit further on, you know, down the road. It's like these new, like it's, I have this weird thing when it comes to TikTok that I'm like, I've downloaded it and I don't look at it and I haven't put anything up there, but I've written a few things to like maybe make videos for it. But Mm -hmm. then I keep having this thing of like, I just don't want to like have to constantly be uploading stuff to this thing. Yeah. Like, I, I just like I don't want to. On TikTok, though. <sighs> I don't know, like, but it's I've got so many so many thoughts about it where it's yeah. just like I just feel like this isn't what I want to do, but like I appreciate what TikTok has done and is doing, and like the progression that it's going to make for you know film long term because so many people that are so young now have these tools in their hands that we like, you know, like we had windows movie maker for me, at least that was the thing that I like tried to make stuff with. Like, you know, I saw some dragon ball Z music videos, like that other people had made and was like, cool, I'm going to try to do this. And, you know, like nowadays the thing that people have in their pocket is capable of so much more than anything we were ever like dreaming of. So I think that's so cool that there's this rad catalyst now that so many people are going to be utilizing but at the same time like i do worry that like everything is now just watered down because everyone's doing it so do you ever have that fear now like like i know i brought it up essentially with the content thing with netflix but in terms of that like you know like just being drowned out by so much being out there is that ever a fear of yours it's a challenge you know like i i am a in probably in this not probably in the same way that you are like I am a I think I'm a professional and not a hobbyist so like I work at understanding my voice and trying to understand like the kind of work I want to make and what my tone is you know and those things especially if you're a director your taste is your whole your taste is your whole thing (laughs) your taste and your ability to communicate your vision like a lot of the work that I've been doing recently is understanding how to be honest or be authentic. And by authentic, I mean like to be original by, by revealing a part of yourself, you know, that and making understanding what parts of you are can be communicated audiovisually. And that's also work, you know, because the fact is you're inundated with commercial work all the time. You're, you know, even if you choose not, even if you're not choosing to see it, you, you'll, you'll, witness it so the likelihood of you making something just like you've seen or just like you're consuming is really high so it takes work to consume differently and research differently and understand like what you prioritize that can try to fall outside of that hype geist for want of a better word (laughs) yeah I I like that actually it's a great term yeah you know goody helpful Yeah, because that is also the problem that we face at the moment. I mean, I've been learning a bit of SEO stuff for various reasons. And, you know, you learn that, like, there's so much of what's being happening, well, what's happening these days is being dictated by what you're searching for and what, like, like, other people are wanting. So, so much of what people are creating is thinking, like, what would someone want? Not so much thinking, what do I actually want to say here? Exactly. And that's taken things so much more original. But the problem is like original doesn't necessarily mean successful though, because Mm. you're not creating the thing that the algorithms won't think everyone's going to like. And the problem is the algorithms are pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) They they, They are are also 
like extents, you know, like, um, like the lovely, for example, is super weird. And I'm so glad yeah. some people like it because I just went all the way and made something completely what I wanted to make. And I have to also say that I'm, I shot that quite early into my branded content life. I don't know yeah. if I would have been able to make something that completely outside of, of like the rules now, because I've done so much of that kind of work. Really? And so I'm, yeah, it's something because there was such a gap between me shooting and editing it. I remember looking at it and thinking like, damn, this is, this is a whole other person, you know? And that's also the goodness of being a beginner is that it's easier to break some rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, what I, that's what I loved about Palovely was like, it had this thing. I mean, there's not like no real dialogue. There's very little in it. Mm. And th- th- it's all set in, you know, one little apartment and it's just this wonderful little like there there is the full you know structure that's needed and it works and it's just this you you know you're captivated the whole way through and you want to see what happens and the payoff is wonderful and it's just like this cool experience but it is like I I mean because I've done I've been a judge for like the short films at the Durban Film Festival before and like yo what a painful experience no (laughs) no 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 not amazing because like a lot of films aren't good unfortunately a short film is actually a really challenging format because it's almost like you need a hello you need to keep someone engaged but you also need a strong punchline but it can't be cliche it is it is a difficult format for sure no definitely i think cliche is the biggest problem with short film whereas like feature length you get away with it so much more it's almost expected like like short film is for you to not do cliche and like feature length is almost like if you don't do cliche you're not going to get funding I, I i think that there's like a formula that that definitely works and there are variations on that formula and i think often what goes wrong and i've seen this in my own work as well for sure is trying to do the formula you know thinking i'm going to make a film that is that feels like a film instead of I'm going to make a film that says something. Okay. And so you're like, so what is, yeah, going to be like the turning point here or like the come to Jesus moment or like. Exactly. Or is this going to be cool? Like Black Panther, as opposed to, you know, (laughs) can I relate to this? And am I the right person to tell the story? Oh, that's a great point. (laughs) Because so (laughs) many people, unfortunately, are writing characters that they maybe shouldn't be. And are you finding that you're able to work, find more? Well, okay, I'm trying to think of how to ask this question. But yeah, being a brown woman, are more jobs opening up these days because people are more aware that they need more voices in these spaces? Or are you finding it's still a bit more of a struggle? Definitely, I think a lot of the, the like branded content and commercial work I'm getting now is a result of not a result of, but it acknowledges my demographic and the necessity of that in the storytelling process. And that's yeah. because a lot of the commercial work I'm doing is documentary leaning, which is also why, like, I sleep at night, you know. <laughs> <Is that> like, <laughs> um, documentary can only go so far into commercial, commercial, the commercialness of that whole space. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that that is something that is opening up. There's also just the the reality of in the same way that we can say the same thing about affirmative action. There's some people that do it well and some people that are just performing the aesthetics of the thing, you know? 
I'm going to hire you because your name needs to be on this top of the document because we need a brown woman, but the whole crew is white males and your opinion isn't actually valid at the end of the day. And so I'm, I'm very lucky that I don't work in spaces like that, but it is something I have been invited into and it's something I have witnessed. So there are like definitely changes happening, but there's also, yeah, you know, change has to be balanced with like productive change, if that makes sense. Would you say like there's two almost like two South African film industries like kind of going at the moment? Because like when I talk to a lot of people that I know, like it does seem to, especially, well, not especially, but like the people I talk to, obviously because they are left-leaning, they are liberal and everything like that and are brown and are female and woman and, you know, in various different spaces. So I'm always you know, seeing people creating all these things in these spaces. But then whenever I talk to them, they're like telling me how those spaces are still like exclusive essentially where like they're always still struggling. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out like what the industry is actually like. Like are there these two concurrent industries like basically working at the same time where it is like this, the money side of things, which is more, you know, white monopoly capital and then the artistic side of things, which is a wider variety of people working together. Um, I think I think the capital thing is, you know, money does determine who gets into what space, but also not every white male is evil, and there are loads of white males Obviously. with capital who are trying to do the right thing and trying to diversify the spaces that they have access to in meaningful ways, and that's something I've witnessed too. Um, and that's like important to acknowledge. Um, yeah, and that's been really cool to see. In terms of what the industry is like, I think, you know, that's such a that's such a, a subjective experience. And I will say, because of who I yeah. am and what I have experienced, I am so intentional about meeting with a person, getting a vibe from them, having coffee with them first. And a lot of the people I collaborate with in 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 ways where trust is involved are people who I've very intentionally um, scoped out first. <laughs> um, and and that has really worked in my favor because I've been in spaces that I love and gone home from work and only had to do the labor of the job as opposed to the emotional labor of healing and anger and all of those other things. And that's... Um, Just dealing with microaggressions all day. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, um, that's something that's like, it's a tool that I wish I'd known I could use earlier. You can take a producer out to coffee and get a feeling for them. You can call a bunch of people and ask to meet with them and then only follow up with the person that you think will treat you well. Like we're allowed to do that. You know, I think we have lived in this mentality of just being lucky to get work for so long and it's not the reality. You, you, can, you can frame what your work life is like. So in that way, my experience of the industry is quite pleasant right now, but that's because I've been really intentional about who to spend that time with. Would you say that's a recent development? Because in that other podcast, uh, Are We Our Work, you did bring up that <laughs> unfortunate issue of like, well, no, like that was a thing. Like you were talking about not having leverage, you know, due to the unemployment stats in this country. Like, so it makes it harder to really say, to stand up and be like, well, this is what I want out of this thing because someone else will just fill in for you instead. So Absolutely. what's created this change in your perceptions? 
I mean, absolutely having worked longer in one place has made it a big, made a big change because I have more, I've started to produce stronger work and that's given, made me like more in demand and that, you know, being more in demand has led to having more negotiating power and like being able to define the parameters that I'm comfortable to work in always politely, but okay. firmly. <laughs> and, and a huge part of that was actually making Belovely. And that's why I say like picking up a camera and making something is the most important because people fall in love with like the, the passion projects. Your commercial work isn't often isn't the thing that gets you noticed. It's, it's the original work that you made because you love it, you know? That's been a huge part in that process. And then I think the other thing is, again, just realizing that I can be proactive about finding people, finding people that I want to work with. Because at that time, I was in a space that was very corporate. I was really struggling with the, the diversity or the attitude toward diversity in that space. And I really just felt like the industry is terrible. There is no opportunity. I can't make it better. And a lot of that had to do with who and what I was being exposed to. But when I was Intentional, uh, intentional about moving beyond that space and actively trying to meet people who were like me and, you know, collaborate with them, paid or unpaid. Like, I, I formed a network of people who, yeah, are so different. And, I, yeah, I think it's so easy to sit and complain and say, like, there's nobody to work with and everything's terrible. But you ha I think you have to be as active about being happy as you, as you are about being unhappy, you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely get that. Like... Uh, as much as Gandhi had his issues, like be the change you want to see in the world is like very much like a thing that like I take like, and it's like mm -hmm. the other thing that I also take a lot of is we can be the bands we want to hear. And like, all of that is just like, you can do the thing. Like, you like you can be the person. Oh, yeah. That's so nice. Um, oh, that's, oh, that's by against me. Oh, okay. Against me as in the band. What yes. Yeah, punk band Laura Jane Grace is the lead singer. Yeah, you should check out their work. Very, very dope band. <laughs> very cool history and everything as well. So go check. Everyone should go check out Against Me. And definitely, uh, the song is called New Wave. And like for real, it is one of like my motivating like things. That, like I'm constantly. It's it's like I might get it tattooed one day where it's like. <laughs> Yeah, we can be the bands we want to hear. It's like you can be the thing you want to see. You can be the, the person creating. Mm. Although, like, I I get a bit, like, I don't know. Like, I create the thing and I'm like, but this isn't the thing that I, I thought I was creating. It's not as good as, like, what they did. And I, just, <laughs> yeah. I know. And then you publish it anyway three years later. <laughs> Oh man, I'm like that's so cool though. Like the whole Belovely thing, like that you, like I can't, like I love that because of like the adventure I'm going on at the moment. Because mm. like I'm looking ahead to this film thing and like what it's gonna be like to actually make it. Because I'm like, at first I was like, I just want to write stuff, and then now I'm like, well, if I'm writing it, I'm probably gonna have to make it because I can see it, and like I'm worried someone else can't, and like now I'm just like cool this might be a thing that takes four years where i shoot it and hate it and shelve it yeah. and maybe eventually come back with a bunch of like experience under my belt and take a look at it again because that's the whole thing that i think is so cool about this experience for you is that it was like taking another look at this old project has now reinvigorated your career almost 
That's completely true. And it only reinvigorated my career because I had absolutely no work and no money and was sitting at home, like withdrawing my pension <laughs> um, during lockdown. And it forced me to go look at that thing. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for just like, just keep making work, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, there is that just that, like, I'm sure you feel it too, that whole thing that telling you, like, this is never going to be any good. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal, like, do you, do you deal with that? And how do you deal with that? Because, like, I know for me, it's just this endless cycle of just, like, and I don't want to show anyone this thing because, like, like I, I don't think it's good enough. Like, and it's never going to be good enough. Mm. So how do you deal with those sorts of, like, you know, issues? I went through this period. I'm actually still in it, but maybe five years ago, I really, I started applying for master's programs and got into some that I really liked. And it was a, it was a whole thing, but um, I went through scholarship applications. And if I got 200 rejection letters, that would be maybe like a low number relative to the reality. Um, (laughs) And that really helped you. It really helps you you. have a thick skin. (laughs) It's just practice, you know, and then the, the, the interesting thing that happened in that process is because you're already writing your next letter, it doesn't matter that that letter doesn't work, you know, and you just get used to it. And, and I think that there's something I've kind of learned from that because I'm always making something, even if it's, you know, even if it's a poem, because I really like poems too, and that's my safe space that is just for me. It's really nice to know it's okay if this flopped because I'm making something else, you know? I'm like I'm already in the I'm already in love with that next thing as well. Yeah. And also that is kind of the wonderful part about collaboration. As much as it might not be exactly what you see in your head, you also get to like take away some of the ego of it because you made it together. And it's not only you. That helps you to just take a little bit of space from feeling naked and afraid, you know. <laughs> when the, the, the art itself gets seen. You get to blame someone else here too. Just be like, oh, so that's all before we Ah, the actress was terrible. Yeah. yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you get to frame it as collaboration and reinterpretation, you know? Oh, I think we've touched on pretty much everything we were going to talk about in, in the thing. Although that is one thing, like you were, you were talking about being like intentional and you're you've definitely been one of the most intentional guests like I've had so far. Like I loved really? it when there's only there's only been like three people who have been like, what are we gonna talk about? Everyone else is just <laughs> like cool. Like Yeah. I think that's my performance anxiety all over. Like I just wanna do the best I can, you know? <laughs> Oh, so is that it? You're like, okay, yeah. let me pray. Well, that's actually weird enough because, like, there were a few people who, like, and just looking back at it, that's what I love about this podcast is just analyzing, like, all the different personality types, seeing who does mm. what and where they do it and what, like, you know, like, trying to find, like, these concurrent threads. And, like, I, I do love that there's certain people who, like, are diligent and, like, you know they're going to, like, yeah, communicate well and everything. And then there's others where I'm like, I know that I only need to log on 10 minutes later because they're going to be logging on 20 minutes later. <laughs> so. Wow, I got stressed out just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, you're, de- oh, you're definitely the other side of all of that. <laughs> I know, I'm working on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, one of the things that you brought up in the other podcast I did want to chat to you about was the constant need for change. 
So are you, you still feel that you still feel like you constantly need to be changing and evolving and adapting and doing different things and new things, or is there space to just sit and settle sometimes? Yeah, I totally, I've done all of the personality tests and like, <laughs> and I really needed that because I think I just needed to understand myself better to be cope to like, to be able to cope with the big moving animal of filmmaking and to understand what makes me tired and how I get there, you know? And uh, I, I, I'm a person that needs a lot of change. And um, I, I think I'm just trying to have that filter into spaces where it's healthy because I recognize that it can go onto the unhealthy side where I just want to like live in a new city all the time or change apartments yeah. all the time. And yeah, I think I, I, I really had to just have a sit down with myself and the voices and just, you know, realize that, routine does enable a lot of progress and so I have like a daily routine more or less or a weekly routine but most of the time um, because I'm a freelancer I get a lot of change in my life my work environment in my collaborators is always different and that's exactly what I like about film that's also one I, why I want to work in new formats you know and that's what's so cool like I can make a like a weird one-person rom rom-com, and now make a documentary, and maybe try a B-grade horror <laughs> next, and that's kind of that's kind of amazing. Have you thought at all about VR? I have, but um, I'm like a, every time I make something, the whole reason for me like is does it make somebody feel something, even if they can't explain it, they don't have the words for it. Like, does it make you feel something? That's my whole like. I know why I make work. I get a lot of joy over people realizing that feeling and seeing like and relating with that between each other. And I just something about VR is just it feels like it would be an intellectual exercise for me as opposed to something out of passion. And that's just not a yeah, an academic exercise is not a place I want to take my creative work into. Now, I'm super inter interested in interactivity that we could experience as a group, like um, film as interaction designed without the headset. So that's something I have thought a lot about. Well, did you see in, I think it's in Japan, they have these theater shows that they're doing now because Japan. of the COVID restrictions. <laughs> that's, it's basically, it's a circle around the performers. Like it's a wooden circle and you each sit in your booth and you have a little slot, like a letter slot, and you watch through that. Oh, and so it's like this weird like communal experience, but everyone's watching from a different angle. Like a different and, like, pod, yeah oh, wild. exactly 100 percent. like and like your viewing is limited because it's just like a little letterbox slot so yeah like there's so many ways to play with the presentation of things as exactly, well Sheesh. exactly and that's like the next step for me is understanding that's because film has so many aspects like you're in the screenwriting now and you know when you get really sick of that you can pick up a camera and just film something and that's really cool because you can still do the thing you love but give yourself space to not hate it you know <laughs> yeah we'll we'll see how that all goes <laughs> but cool i want to uh thank you for your time because it has been over an hour now so i'm gonna let you it's also it's quite late and you have been very busy lately so I'm going to let you get some rest. Yeah. But thank you so much for your time. It's been so cool catching so up and like, yeah, getting a feel for what you, you do. You too, Bob. Shevin Joburg Holler. And also, I will just quickly shout out if you anybody wants to get in film, we run this Girls in Film Instagram and there are so many resources on there. I mean, they are focused on exposing underrepresented filmmakers, but it doesn't mean that the resources aren't for everyone. 
and there's lots of like funding posts and how-to stuff on there. It's a really good place to get information if you're trying to figure something out. So what, what what's the at for um, that? It's at Girls in Film RSA on Insta. Cool. And then I know you also work with uh, For Creative Girls. What is that if you want to explain it quickly? For Creative Girls is a mentorship program that like um, matches young women in creative industries with mentors. And that's also a really cool place to either apply to be a mentor or a mentee if you just want to help somebody through the imposter syndrome of entering a really difficult to navigate industry. Yeah. So yeah, depending on where you are on the demographics, if you're younger or older, go check out for Creative Girls and you can probably find the space <laughs> there if you're in filmmaking or looking to get into filmmaking because I, yeah, I checked that out and that seems very cool. But yeah, thank you once again so much for your time. You've been so kind. And yeah, I look forward to, I will eventually be in Joburg again once I'm vaccinated. And right. uh, well, yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Thanks yeah, all, for all, all, all those things. And thank you for, thanks for asking, you know. Oh, of course. Like I'm, re- I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what you keep creating. Like after seeing what you've done so far, I'm like, cool. Like this is going to be a fun career to watch. Panics internally. Cool. Good luck on your way to episode 100. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, like I'll I'll get you back on sometime before episode 500. Dope. Deal. <laughs>